Welcome to Rising Tide, a podcast for career-driven women to find inspiration, find courage, and find their voice. As we usher in the end of 2022, it's a natural time to reflect and consider what could be in the coming year. And Karen Hoden is arguably one of the best at role modeling a willingness to explore and give life to her curiosity. So right now in this moment of my path and my career journey, I'm on top of this jungle gym being able to look down and say, okay, a lot of these pieces of my career, did I know I was gonna land here? No. Am I where I'm absolutely supposed to be? Yes. You don't have to know where you're gonna end up right? Like every kind of step that you take, even if that's not where you end up, there is purpose in that. There's learning opportunities, there's challenges, and most of all, there's networking. Today, Karen is the founder and CEO of Infinite Giving, a company helping nonprofits create financial sustainability and growing their giving. On today's episode, we discuss what has fueled her wildly successful jungle gym career, including how she has sought to understand herself, inviting others to help her on this journey, being open to exploring new things, betting on herself when it mattered most, and much more. I can't wait for you to hear Karen's incredible story and get to know this amazing woman better. Enjoy. Welcome to Rising Tide, Karen. Hey, it's good to be here. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to meet you. This is like our first time having a conversation and we've been connected through amazing, wonderful people here in the Atlanta startup community. So I'm very excited to get to know you better today. Yeah. I'm honored to be here and I can't believe that we've not connected before this. We have a lot of people in common. (laughs) And that's so funny how like the world is so small and yet like somehow over all these years, this is our first time connecting with one another. It's one of the great things though about community, right? Is there's always new people to meet, new connections to make. Yes, yes. And I I do. I love that. And I'm always so grateful for having people who, you know, know you and know someone else and say like, I think you two should connect. I'm always very grateful for those connectors. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, I, you know, I think what's so incredible is I can't wait to kind of like real time as people are listening, kind of hear your story because- you have founded an incredible company, but I think if anyone were to look at your background, like right, if we saw you, you know, 10 years ago, we might not have logically deduced like, oh, Karen, yes, of course she would found a tech company. <laughs> so let's start with today. And then I, well, we can kind of jump backwards in time, but tell us a little bit about what you're doing today with Infinite Giving. So I'm the founder and CEO of Infinite Giving, and we're a modern investment platform for nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So we are a fiduciary and an outsourced CIO, and we partner with any tax-exempt entity to allow them to easily, affordably, and quickly invest reserve funds to hedge against inflation, create and manage endowments, and also to easily receive stock and cryptocurrency gifts all in one platform made specifically for them. Oh, okay. So I, I've noticed this pattern with female founders in particular, where there seems to be a problem that they saw that kind of spurred this idea. So what was it that you identified where you're like, there is a community of people that need something that does not exist today and and I want to create it? Well, I have a really unique background in that I agree. I don't have a super linear path into the career I currently have. I like to keep things interesting. And so <laughs> I was an executive director and founder of a nonprofit a long time back Mm. and loved that work and experienced fundraising and being mission-minded. And literally that organization was like my entire being almost, right? It was my identity. And I got really burnt out of being in that scarcity mindset and made a switch into technology. So that's a whole story in and of itself. But I did end up passing the work that I was doing along to another nonprofit who was in the area of Rwanda that we were working in and still support her today. She does amazing work, Sarah Sasson with the Kula Project. But all that to say is I made that into tech and then I ended up 
running Atlanta Tech Village and having this amazing career. And then I got into venture capital. And long story short is when I I built this, you know, almost nine year career in technology and learning about entrepreneurs and, and made this interesting jump. But my love for nonprofits never left me. And there were many times over the years as I started serving on boards where I was like, I wish I knew back then what I knew now, mm. like the business savvy, the investment savvy, and a lot of these like key pieces would have been really integral in helping to better support and grow and create sustainability in the nonprofit work I was doing. So when I really was having the itch to do my next thing and, you know, so often for entrepreneurs and founders, it's finding that right idea that you were meant to build and you were called to do. And I feel like infinite giving is my calling. I am so uniquely positioned to serve this community in such a special way and having this, you know, technology and investment and actually being an executive director and serving on boards that it was really easy to identify some of these problems. And I was like, you know what, we can solve that. And there's no one else solving it in a way that is truly made for nonprofits. And we know their voice and have been able to build a product that is super practical and easy to understand. And I'm excited about how we're serving them and and the growth that we're experiencing because of the quality of experience we're able to provide them. Oh my gosh, there's a million things to unpack there. And I, you said something that just made my heart sore, which is, I love how you talked about that you are uniquely positioned. Like, I love that claiming of that because there's a really cool book called The Power of Onlyness. And the whole principle of the book is just exactly that, which is each one of us individually have unique experiences and skills and superpowers and a view of the world that only we have. And so finding where we can channel that. And so I love how, you know, you, this is, you found your, your calling, this kind of marrying of all of these incredible experiences that you've had to build infinite giving. And I just, that's so exciting. Okay. So let's go back. Cause you said something that was really interesting and I wanted to, maybe we can jump back there. So tell us like, how did your career start? Where, where was the jumping off point for you? I wrote my own major in college. I changed my major like five different times in undergrad. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I didn't go in with a career in mind. I went in with areas of interest and studies that I thought were really fascinating. And so the more I learned, the more I was like, oh, I want to learn about that. Or I could see myself doing that. And I was coming up on my senior year and I was like, I need to graduate. I'm going to a, a private school and this is really expensive. And so I ended up writing, I had to write a whole thesis paper and essentially present to the board on why I should be able to do this integrative study and interdisciplinary major and all the reasons why I would have that. And looking back now, and the time I was just like, yeah, I'm solving the problem I had, right? This is, I wasn't sure what to do. And here's what I was passionate about. And here's how it all made sense to me. And here's how I was going to work and apply this. And it got passed and I graduated on time in four years, which I was excited about. But I think in there, I had a lot of flexibility in trying to discover and give myself opportunities to discover different paths. So Cheryl Sandberg wrote the book Lean In, highly recommend it. It's She's got a lot of great little nuggets in there. But one of the things that I've always held on to quite strongly is when she talks about career paths and how career paths for some are ladders. And it used to be that they were all ladders, right? You would go up a rung and you were on this path and you would do years and years and the same thing and hopefully moving up and then eventually you would retire. And she talks about how ladders are out and jungle gyms are in. And I love that because my career path has absolutely been a jungle gym where I've gone left and right and up and down. And from some perspectives, it could be like, gosh, what is she doing? You're like, how does this all make sense? Now, looking back, I'm like, you know what? That I was not lost. I was seeking different opportunities and seeking different challenges because I see challenges as opportunities. And so I love to get really deep into something, become really, really good at it and be like, great, I did that. That was successful. What, it, what am I going to do next? 
And even today, like infinite giving is the perfect example of not a lot of people did tech and VC and also nonprofit and board experience, right? And so I'm like, yes, and all of that makes sense. So right now in this moment of my path and my career journey, I'm on top of this jungle gym being able to look down and say, okay, a lot of these pieces of my career, did I know I was going to land here? No. Am I where I'm absolutely supposed to be? Yes. And it makes sense. So when I'm talking to younger people, especially, I'm also like, hey, you don't have to know where you're going to end up, right? Like every kind of step that you take, even if that's not where you end up, there is purpose in that. There's learning opportunities, there's challenges. And most of all, there's networking and networking, you know, is really just relationship building. And I look at things I've accomplished now and so much of it, I'm not better than others. I'm not any of these things that are, you know, particularly exceptional, but I have been able to build really amazing, genuine relationships and build a really good reputation that has ultimately opened doors in a way that I didn't plan. And I'm incredibly grateful for now as an entrepreneur every day. I'm like, wow, like this is so helpful to have people in your corner or who are supporting you or able to fund you and who believe in you in that way. And that's not an overnight thing. That was a decade long plus kind of journey to get there. Right. Okay. Again, so many things I want to ask you about. (laughs) First thing was you mentioned like, oh, I was not lost. So I guess the question is on that jungle gym, were there times where you felt lost or, you know, it sounds like people even were confused by what you were doing. Like maybe take us there as far as like that process of being in the process versus now having the hindsight to reflect back of how it all has come together. Absolutely. I thought I was lost many times, right? Cause you can't, you don't know where, and even now I'm like, you know, where will infinite giving go? What will we do? You know, there's so many unknowns. So you have to a lot of people are like, you have to be comfortable in the unknown. I'm like, I will never be comfortable in the unknown, but I can be in it and have it inspire me to work harder and to seek more. Right. But I think especially when you're younger and not not being able to see the next step, you feel lost. But I guess I say that because I was never, I knew I would always figure it out. I just didn't know where I would end up. And I had that just kind of confidence. I was never really worried about, I've been gifted where I don't worry too much about what other people think. Like I naturally want people to like me, but at the same time, I'm like, I'm self-sufficient. I will figure it out. It's like, I'm not a person who really lives in fear. And so I like the challenge of like, well, let's try and see what happens. Like when David Cummings hired me at Atlanta Tech Village, I knew nothing about commercial (laughs) real estate, right? I was his very first hire and I was there eight and a half years. When I left, I was vice president. So I I grew this career and every time I was able to get in there and learn more, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this. And now I can create this program. And oh, I actually am getting to a place where I can advise startups and I know, and oh, venture capital is really interesting. Like I want to learn that. And so you just have an opportunity in exploring those things. And Mm -hmm. I think a lot of it is about capability versus already having like this perfect skill set. It's like, are you capable and determined to learn something new? Then you can figure out pretty much anything. Yeah. Well, and I love how you talk about, you maybe didn't know where it was going, but you knew that you could figure it out. And I think that sense of knowing is so so valuable. And even just the exploration and curiosity of like, what is this thing? And what, you know, like, do I like it? Do I find it interesting? What else do I find interesting? I think that kind of that mindset of exploration and curiosity is so powerful as opposed to pressure of figure it out. Like you have to get, you know, and I think there's such value that you are able to a, a large extent kind of separate your decisions from external inputs, because, you know, in many ways, even starting with your college career, you're very, I'm using bunny ears, y'all, you can't see me, but like unconventional. I don't like that word because I think you are far more conventional than we think, 
but it, at the time, like what you were doing, it's just not as common because there's such pressure to pick a major, commit to something, focus, specialize, you know, as opposed to kind of engage that curiosity, explore, follow the trail that you find most interesting, and then, you know, continue iterating. I just, I love that. And then something else you mentioned when you were talking about your process is kind of talking about like the, the next steps and, you know, the choices that were made. I'm curious as you think think back on how you kind of thought about approaching your next steps, even if you didn't know what it was, how you went about figuring out what it would become. Like, was there ever a feeling that you had or a way that you knew that it was time to start figuring out a next for you? I am a person who relies on my gut instinct a lot. Mm -hmm. I often just go with my gut. I love to surround myself with people who rely on data to balance me out, but I am a gut instinct person often, especially with personal decisions. And so often there just becomes a little bit of unrest, but I also like even if you look at my career, like when I am dedicated to trying something, I stick it out. And so in my mind, it's like a minimum of five years. Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, um, I'll put five years into this, see where I can go, what I can do, what I can accomplish. Mm -hmm. And then I give myself kind of permission to start exploring that. And even, you know, at Atlanta Tech Village, amazing community people love that job. I was not discontent. And there was lots of times where I would get shopped for different opportunities, often making a lot more money than I was making too. And I would, I would always explore it. And I would say, great, let's have a conversation. Let's see. But ultimately I was always like, "Mm, I'm not quite done. Mm. Yes. And I really had the itch after being around entrepreneurs so long, And I was very passionate about underrepresented founders, very passionate about how do we get more women? How do we get more founders of color? How do we get more diversity into the community? Because when we first started Atlanta Tech Village, I was like one of the few women there. And it took a lot of time for our community to start to better reflect our intention and who we wanted that community to be of technology founders. And we had to do a lot of intentional programs around that on like, here's, you know, we created an accelerator, a pre-accelerator that was for underrepresented founders. And then we made sure that they stayed connected to our community and that they sent referrals. And then anybody who's run that program has been somebody who's gone through that program. And then we said, all right, this is a great founder. Like let's support them part-time while they build their company. So we've been able you know, women in tech, like there's been a lot of these programs that we launched that was able to change that. And I think having those opportunities to kind of create has been really great. But then I was like, why am I so passionate about helping other people? When I've started a company before, I started a nonprofit, I've helped build ATV from the ground up. And a lot of it, I spent over two years just talking to people and trying to find like the right idea. Like, what is my next step going to be? And what company could I start and what I was meant to do? So that's when I started out earlier, like if I made it seem easy, please know that that was not easy. Sometimes finding that moment, especially as a technology entrepreneur, like what is the problem that you can solve? That is often the most difficult piece of that. And so even went down the path of of a couple other ideas and ended up passing them to other founders, but infinite giving is the one that stuck. And I just kind of knew, I knew that it was the right one for me. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate you calling out the process. You know, again, it's like when we talk about it in this conversation, it sounds I don't want to say quick, but it, you know, like I, I appreciate even saying like two years, two years of different ideas and customer discovery. And then we would spend like six months on one idea and do all this research. And then it'd be like, man, it's a really good idea. But it like, and David Cummings said this to me too. He was very, both David, David Library and David Cummings knew I wanted to do a startup and were very supportive of that. And a lot of it is just, you know, you can spend seven to 10 years of your life. This one is not a five-year horizon, seven to 10 year horizon, right? (laughs) At least. And I have that in my head. And so, but it's, you can spend that amount of time building a smaller company, or you can spend that same amount of time and effort building something that has a much bigger market and can have a much bigger impact. And so lots of these ideas were like really great ideas, but I'm like, is the market big enough? 
And do I want to spend seven to 10 years of my life for potential A outcome or potential B outcome? And so Infinite Giving's got a significantly larger market that I was really excited about. And that was enough to commit and give up a lot of things to pursue Infinite Giving. Right. I think it's so, that's so great that you, you know, and again, things I hear you saying and describing is like telling people what you wanted, even if you couldn't, if you weren't exactly sure what it was, knowing that it was on your heart to start another company and this time a tech company, you know, I think that like that uh, inviting people to be part of the process with you because more minds are better than one. And then in this case, like these are those who are successful founders who have gone and done it before too. So they are, they can be mentors. And I, I just think that's so, that's so great. Like you don't have to go it alone. Don't no. alone. It is so hard. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Well, I mean, I think we, we might not be having this conversation if you had attempted to go it all right. alone, like uh, just, yeah. you know, we can't get where you want to get. So, okay. Well, let's do this. So you, I think something that was really interesting is I had listened to a talk that you had given and you were talking about your jungle gym career. And one of the things that stood out to me was that you mentioned that you had gone into a master's program Mm -hmm. and you were studying marriage and family therapy. And by the time you were graduating, you realized this was not what you wanted to do. (laughs) So, I mean, oh, can we jump back there? Because I can only imagine of like, this has been a couple of years you have focused on this. And then after all that time, you realize I don't want to do this. So tell us about this time in your career. I loved grad school. Grad school was my jam. I (laughs) loved it. I love psychology. I love relationships. I love people and communication. And I worked in a mental and behavioral health hospital. I worked in private counseling centers. I think if anything, it also helped make me a better human, just like in understanding my own issues and being a healthy person. And all that to say though is, full-time counseling is so much active listening. (laughs) And if you've been around me for a little while, you'll know I'm a much more directive and and there could have been a spot for me, but I was like, gosh, I can't do this 45 hours a week. Like if I had had a different path or wanted different things, I could have done it part-time, but it just wasn't for me. But I found the way to, I hated making a student loan payments for the next decade for that, but I don't regret the education at all. It was an amazing education that I apply in my life daily, all the time. But it was a very interesting concept where I actually didn't feel, I was like, okay, I loved that. How can I apply this in another way? Because this is not me. Like I considered getting my PhD because I loved school or my PsyD. So I was like, hey, I could do a doctorate. This is where I can end up. And then I just kind of fell into a different opportunity doing some industrial psychology, which was a great fit for me. So it was a lot of coaching, which coaching is, you know, well, let's talk about that counseling, essentially. Yeah. Let's talk about that. So you, you graduate, how did you, you know, fall into and like doing industrial psychology? Yeah. We had an adjunct professor who was looking to hire someone And kind of on a whim, I was like, well, that could be interesting because he was doing executive coaching and it was, you know, 360s and, you know, communication training. And we used the disc a lot. That stuff is like really natural for me. And I really enjoyed it. And so ended up applying for that and started working there and really loved it. And I still like occasionally for startups, I'll still do like just out of you know, fun and to be helpful. I'll be like, let's do a disc training or communication workshop training. My licenses and stuff are no longer, I'm always like, this is just me helping. I'm no longer like registered as an instructor in this, but right, I really enjoyed right. all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So was that at Golden Coaching and Consulting? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, you did that for Six and a half years. Yes. He was an entrepreneur and the funds that did that are, is actually what helped fund Lane of a Thousand Hills Coffee. So I was doing this coaching and consulting and then kind of helping fund the start of this coffee company. And so then I was around that entrepreneurial experience again and loved that. And I was like, I want to get into that too. So you can see that it's one of those things that when there were opportunities in front of me, I never shut the door. 
I always was like, let's look through that door. Like, is there a problem that I can solve? Is there a way to be helpful? Is there something I can learn in that? And so I think I am just a person who's very open to those. And that kind of led my path down to where I am today. I'm very curious about this idea of like that, again, that willingness to just explore, to be curious, to just, you know, check something out, you know, where does that come from? I'm so intrigued by it because I think it's such a beautiful trait. And for many of us, it's a learned behavior. It sounds like it's a little bit more natural to you, but like, is there any place that you're, you like can point to you're like, this is where it comes from, or like, you know, kind of what, what has led you to be willing to just explore anything without any reservations? Cause I think that's so good. I have no idea. I, God made me this way. I like, it's, I don't have a pinpoint. I think I had some challenges when I was younger and I think I turned into a bit of a fighter from that where I'm just like, no, 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 I can like get through some hard things in life. So I don't know if it's just who I am and how I'm knit together. If my environment kind of helped refine that a little more, but I'm definitely somebody who is not afraid of a challenge. Like I generally have adapted, I think, into thriving in those environments, which makes me a really good entrepreneur. Yeah. Well, and I think to your point earlier, you know, you see challenges as opportunities and so much of life is just the lens with which we view our circumstances. Not, not always, of course, there are circumstances that are outside of our control, but like there is a lot of power in how we view it. And so seeing challenges as an opportunity, whether it's to learn something, to grow a skill, to, you know, let's see if I can pull this off. Right. Like why not? And now I think with you, it's like history has a way now of building that confidence so that you have this whole history of experience that says like, when I do these things, I'm willing to bet on myself because each time I come out better for having bet on myself. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that you transitioned from golden coach coaching and consulting, and then you end up becoming the director for land of a thousand hills coffee company. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that transition. It sounded like there was a mutual fund that was kind of serving both of those companies, but how did that actually come to be? Same founder and their office was literally next to my office and just lots (laughs) of opportunities where originally I was like, oh, I can help with the marketing. I can jump in here and do these things. And then eventually went over to Rwanda and fell head over heels in love with the people and the land. And that's where we were sourcing all of the coffee at the time. Always loved coffee, but knew nothing about it until this. (laughs) But I remember I was like master's in psych and counseling and that's, we were doing coaching, but I got pulled into this coffee world and just offering to help and then seeing it happen right there. And they were literally roasting coffee, like underneath my office and I would smell it and I get to do cuppings and different things. So really just grew from there. And then when I was over in Rwanda, I was like, gosh, there's so many areas where buying and purchasing this coffee is making meaningful impact. But what about all the people who don't own the land? What about all these people in the community, these coffee growing communities who are not growing coffee? How can we help them? And that's where that initial kind of Again, I was like, well, we can do this. Like I can fundraise for this. Like we can create on a 501c3, we can do a nonprofit arm. And then it's this holistic care for a community where it's like, yes, this is this sustainability with the coffee, but there was a place for charity and there was a place for additional assistance, whether that was orphan care, education. And then everything we did was really strategic about coming alongside those communities and making sure that those projects were community led and had their key players. So we even, one of the projects I'm most proud of is that we built a primary school that still educates over 400 children in rural Rwanda. And we partnered with the local government, with the local community, they provided the land. And then we provided the building, we fundraised for that. I mean, I would spend nine hours in Rwanda in like a mad hat, like not understanding the majority of what they were talking about, but just going through the process of the local politics and making sure that all of it would be sustainably led and led by them and not us, but that it was something they couldn't do. They did have a school, but like 
in rainy season, like there was no electricity, like all the roof was just, it would rain in on the children. So in rainy season, there was no education in that area. And so the government was like, great, we have the teachers, we have the property, you know, we invited them to be a part of the planning process, the architects, all of that. But long story short is I think a lot of those projects were very, very meaningful. I still keep in touch with several of those people over in Rwanda on a fairly regular basis, actually. Okay. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking at all of this and I want to make sure like anyone listening kind of catches this. So this is three hats that are happening at one time because you're <laughs> working in this business consulting, you're the director for land of a thousand Hills coffee company. And then you've also now founded this incredible nonprofit that is doing this work in Rwanda. And there's connections between the three of them, but these are three separate things happening simultaneously. Yes. How are you managing your time? How are you prioritizing? Like that's the, I mean, we're talking like years, like six and a half years that you're doing this. So how did you go about scheduling and prioritizing your time? It's a good question. Remember in the very beginning, I mentioned I got burnt out. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of it, but I was super passionate about the work I was doing I do thrive under, you know, challenges and I did feel like it was a challenging kind of opportunity. Mm-hmm. I just am a person who has a high capacity for doing a lot of different things. So probably ultimately comes down to control issues <laughs> and different things, but I'm like, no, no, no. Like if I can balance and have a part in things, then I can also, you know, help control those and make them better and contribute And I think if there's ever an opportunity to do good, I'm not going to walk away from that. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. So you you mentioned like feeling burnt out. When did you start to know something needed to change? And then again, I think kind of walking us through that process, because this is a, a pretty big shift from, this is where we start to make that segue from nonprofit sector, business consulting into tech at So take us through when you started to realize that something needed to change to actually actioning on making a change. I was getting burnt out and there was some turnover and some different challenges on the team as well, where I currently was. And I think ultimately I had lost part of who I was. And especially if you talk to nonprofit folks, sometimes it becomes your whole identity And I had gotten to a place where I did not know who I was outside of these things. And I had met, you know, my husband and I was getting married and like, I would talk to people who were like, oh, you know, I never had spent a night away from my husband. I was like, great. First year of marriage, I was gone for like two months. I was like, see you husband, I got work to do. There was just a lot of burnout. And again, gut instinct. And I, again, to your point, it was like just over six years or so. And I was really passionate about it. And there was other people who were working in the area too. And I just started having conversations on what would I even do? What would this look like? How do you transition like out of this? It was a very specific, you know, but then when you take a step back and I do this with people who are doing career transitions, I'm like, look for the commonalities in what your skill sets are in this. And it was community building. It was relationship building. It was solving problems. So there was a lot of these kind of operational and relationship opportunities that I had really honed skill sets in. And one of my largest donors, I had talked to him as well, and he understood and supported that decision and made some introductions for me. And one of those introductions was actually to a man named David Cummings, who was at the time was running Pardot. And he was like, I don't really know, but David's a good person to get connected with. And I was like, what kind of leader is he? Like, that was my, I'm like, I want to work for a really good, like honest, strong leader. And David had a great reputation and I Googled marketing automation because I didn't know what that was. Right. I was, I was, I mean, they were, they were building the market. I mean, I was like, I don't know what any of this is. (laughs) And he connected me to David, David connected me to the HR and I remember sitting in there, their interview process was tough. I remember hearing at the time that it was easier to get into Harvard than it was to get hired at Pardot at that time. And I ended up being like, I think around the hundredth employee. And I remember sitting in an interview, I'd gotten through like, there was a written test and all these things. I'd gotten to like the fifth 
final interview and it was with Adam Blitzer and David Cummings. I remember sitting in there and I was like, look, Jim Collins, good to great book. It's a classic business book, right? And it talks about getting the right people on the bus. And then once the right people are in the bus, you have to get in the right seat on the bus. And I remember being in front of them and just saying, I love this book. I want to be on the Pardot bus. I'm not positive which seat I belong in, but here are the things that I'm really good at and here's how I can help. And so they hired me to create a corporate social responsibility program. So they kind of ended up creating this position for me and got in there and started having lots of ideas and and building out kind of what I thought this program should be with like volunteering opportunities and some culture building things. And then like 90 days in, David sold Pardot. (laughs) So I was there for just a blink, right? And they made the big announcement that Pardot was acquired by Exact Target, which has now been acquired Mm -hmm. by Salesforce, right? One of the largest bootstrap SaaS acquisitions on record, 100 million. And they told the team, and again, I'm like new girl, but I was reporting directly like to Adam, mostly Adam Blitzer. And they announced it and they have limousines waiting out for the team, right? Because it's a cel- like everyone's kind of like, oh no, what's this going to mean? But it's also a celebration. Yes. So they tell everyone and they funnel us out into these limos to take us to like a party. And somehow new girl over here, I get onto the limo with David Cummings, right? And we're like the same age. He's a year younger than me. And I remember just looking at him and I was like, congratulations. This is big news. You know, I'm so excited for you. I'm sad for me because I was really excited about working for you. Because I had made some of those choices based off reputation and leadership, yes, of the company, but of who he was as well. And 30 days later, he reached out to me and had bought this really ugly 1980s building in Buckhead in the north side of Atlanta. And I remember he was like, hey, I'm buying this building and I'm doing this thing. And I remember going to somebody on the Pardot team, an executive over there who I trusted. And I was like... I don't really understand what David's doing with this. And she's like, if David invites you into something, you say yes. And I was like, cool. I don't know anything about corporate real estate or building an entrepreneurial community. My foyer into tech was like 90 days old, but I I went over to this 1986 building, that massive, you know, building that David had just bought with that. And he spread this vision of, I want to build a community of people meant for entrepreneurs who are changing the world and doing great things. And I was like, I don't know how to do that, but I will figure it out. And I want to be a part of it. And then that was where I was for eight and a half years. (laughs) I'm just like, my cheeks hurt from smiling so hard. (laughs) It's kind of fun to retell it because when you're in it, like you don't really... As a person who lived it, I'm like, oh yeah, this is a part of my story. But so rarely do we have a platform like this where I'm like, oh, I'm retelling it. And I'm kind of getting excited about it too. I was like, dang, that was cool. Like that was a really cool opportunity. And again, those doors that are just kind of opening and I'm like, I didn't know what marketing automation was or how I was going to be a part of Pradab, but I knew what my skill sets were. I knew how I could contribute and I knew the kind of environment I wanted to choose to put myself into. Yes. And I think those, and even now as a CEO and founder, I'm like, I'm creating the community that I want to be a part of. Yeah. Our team has a culture that I want to be a part of and that attracts great people. And that's honestly one of the coolest things about being a, a founder is, is that you know, and I, I wasn't a founder at ATV, but I was that first employee and I was there the longest and, and had, you know, a lot of independence and autonomy in, in what we did there. But being able to create something from the ground up that has a meaningful impact is one of the greatest joys in life. Yeah. And so the more I can recreate these, whether it's the Dugan Initiative, which was the nonprofit, whether it was being a part of Atlanta Tech Village and that honor and now building Infinite Giving, like the ripple effects of the people and communities that we can, you know, help is really purposeful. And that's what drives me ultimately. And I think it drives a lot of people and whether it's big or small, we all have a piece to play and a part to play in that, that I think all we have to do is say yes, you know? Yeah. You know, I'm so glad. I I think that's one of the joys of getting to do this podcast for me. And the reason it's called rising tide is part of it is not just those listening, learning and being inspired by your story, but you're claiming 
of your story and that reminder of just how incredible you are and what you've already accomplished up until now is. So I, I'm so glad that that's your experience. And then I want to call out a couple of really key things that I have seen as patterns in the women that I interview that are so good that if you're listening, like I really need you to hone in on and maybe go back and re-listen because one of the things that I love is you knew you took time to take inventory of your skills, what you were really good at, what experiences that you had and what you could bring to the table. And I think that is so important of just doing that and taking the time, sitting down. And then, you know, I love that you started again. We see you do this. You did this before start telling people I'm looking, I'm curious. I'm not sure. Right. Just starting to have the conversations and inviting people to help you. And then I love that, that peacefulness too, of like, it was okay to not know what the role was, but instead to say, I know this is the right company for me. And here's what I can do and put it back on them to say, this is what I can bring to the table. What does that bring up for you? And I think that that was so powerful because it doesn't put the responsibility on you to know how could you right? to your point, like you didn't know anything about marketing automation yet. But I love that you came to the table knowing what you could do. And then you allowed them to to think with you on what would be a great role. And then, you know, again, I just, I can only imagine I'm, I'm projecting, but like the panic of like, you just made a huge life change, huge. You've just spent six and a half years. You've handed over this nonprofit that you founded to pursue this company. And then 90 days later, it gets sold. Like, (laughs) I would imagine that had to be just an insanely, it just seems like that would be very stressful. Like you made a major life choice and mm-hmm. within 90 days, it flipped on its head for a moment. It did. And I, <laughs> I would be lying if I didn't have some frustrations in that moment, but it's also like, they were like, oh, don't worry. You'll be in the marketing department. And even then, like, cause you have all the politics mm-hmm. of acquisition, right. That like they're gone And I was just like, yeah, I could be a person in a marketing department, but like that would not have been fulfilling. And I remember I was just like, again, though, I'm like, I'll figure it out. This was not in the plan. Mm. But if you stay too attached to your plans and your ideas, then you lose, you know, those other opportunities that you don't know are coming. That was so powerful what you just said. Wow. I just had to stop you for a moment. That was, that's, that's a very brilliant insight. And I think as women specifically, Mm. we often operate from a place of fear or a place of we're not good enough, Mm -hmm. or, you know, we don't have the same support and opportunities that maybe others in life do. Mm -hmm. And have I experienced bias and sexism? Hell yes. Right. Luckily, not as much sometimes as others. And there are lots of allies and good people, especially in the Atlanta ecosystem, but it a hundred percent exists. And so it is finding those key people and I'm not relying on them, but by inviting people into that journey and being confident in kind of what we can offer and what we have to offer to the world allows us to be flexible and to explore different opportunities and be confident that if wherever we are, we're being good people, right? We're building a great reputation. We're building intentional relationships and we're doing our work with excellence. Those doors will open. And then it's up to us to have the courage to walk through them. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think being able to like you, it wasn't like you just willy nilly made the decision. And so I love even just trusting the choice to make the decision, you know, you made it with good reasons and good intentions. And then that willingness to say like, okay, I did not see this coming, but now what will this mean? You know? And I think that that's just, you know, that's so powerful because we don't have control. (laughs) This is such a perfect example of just how little control we have. And so that shift is so great. And then, yeah. So, I mean, the Atlanta tech village, is just such a huge part of the ecosystem here in Atlanta. And I will just share for me personally, when I was, I was out in San Diego, I was working at a tech company. We were ready to relocate. San Diego was no longer our permanent home and Atlanta popped up on the map because of the tech village. 
And it was a place that was becoming a hub for tech companies. And so I share that more so to say, like, as the person who was building the community, the VP of this center, like it has been such an instrumental part of the tech community and the ecosystem. And was really, again, ahead of its time. And so many other cities have now followed that pattern. So I think it's so amazing that this is, this was really something that you were instrumental in building. So I don't want to gloss over eight and a half years, but tell us about this time. If you will kind of walk us through how your role evolved from when you started to ultimately when you exited. Yeah. And Landon Tech Village pretty quickly grew into America's fourth largest tech hub. So we do have a significant impact when we first started and I moved over from Pardot. I was a community manager. That was the role that David offered me and just got in there and like figured it out. It was chaos. We hired an architect again, like everything was like original from 1986. I was like, okay, we got to have a vision. We got to have a vision for this. But also the beauty of it was it was entrepreneurial led. And I think that that's so key in building a strong ecosystem mm-hmm. is finding, having somebody like David who, who yes, had, a, had worked really hard and had a large exit and turned around and put personal money back into, you know, creating a safe haven for entrepreneurs. And I am a mission driven person. And that was a mission that yes, we're for profit, but that was a mission that I could wrap my head around Mm. and the operational skills that I had and the people building skills. Like one of the things that I was like, what we can do is create a fun, you know, place where you want to be that attracts entrepreneurs, it attracts some of the best entrepreneurs, right? And that also is a place where like, you know, failure is not equated with shame. Like we have to have a place where we can learn from each other. And we had, you know, core values. And even my core values at Infinite Giving that we set are not that different from Atlanta Tech Village. And it was about, you know, being nice and dreaming big. And occasionally we'd have people new to the ecosystem or new to Atlanta Tech Village. Like on a big wall, we have a mural and it says like, be nice. Yes. And occasionally people would be like, that really like, and I'm like, yes, welcome to the South A. We are Atlanta. We are the city of hospitality. And I was like, B, running a startup and being an entrepreneur is already hard enough. Like, do you really need to be in a place that's just going to make it harder? So we do what we can to essentially have kind of a no asshole rule, right? It's no a-holes here. Like it's hard enough. We want a community of people. If that's not the right fit for you, that's okay. But we want to be really straightforward about who we are and our expectations for that, because this is the kind of community and people we want to have. Mm -hmm. And so by being really upfront, it really allowed others who were like, we don't have time for that, or that wasn't their priority. They were able to opt out of the community and we were able to really curate. I mean, some of our early entrepreneurs are insanely successful now, right? Like Tope was uh, with Calendly, the founder of Calendly. He was like one of our very first hot desk members, had this idea and a few developers in Ukraine, you know, and so being able to watch those stories, you like, you can't be in that kind of environment and not be massively inspired. And so I was constantly inspired by having a front row to these people. And then you also realize that like, they're all so smart and so good at what they do and determined and had a certain grit, but they're also normal people who make mistakes and are figuring things out. And I think that approachability of kind of being in a community where people could share and talk about the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur really is what set the foundation for me to being like, oh, a tech entrepreneur, I can do this one day too. Like I just have to figure that out. So long story short is just as time went by and I learned more and I got my skill, right? I love to be really good at things. So I got in there and I was like all in like, all right, I'm gonna learn about facilities. Didn't know I was going to be like talking about facility stuff as much as I was, but we did design and furniture ordering and started building programs. And eventually that turned into like working with investors. And then we dreamed up this idea to do Pitch Atlanta, which was a venture conference and it was invite only and we played it. It was so good. And we started helping. And then I started advising startups and we started doing pre-accelerators. And so I think all of those programs 
gave me bigger insights and then knew a lot of ecosystem players, knew a lot of VC folks. And I really wanted to learn more about venture capital and really get into term sheets and how we're choosing folks and had a conversation with David about, you know, being a part of Atlanta Ventures deeper on that side of things. And so he invited me into that. And that was really fascinating. For a little while, I was like, I'm going to be a VC. This could be like, I really liked it. And I still liked it, but doing that, I figured out, actually, I just need to be the entrepreneur. But it did give me such great, again, and as you move past and have the beauty of hindsight, Mm -hmm. the way I can enter into conversations with investors, because I've been on the other side of that table and even talking to friends like Noelle London, I know you had her on here, she talked about different things and pitch decks. I'm like, I do think have some unique insights that gives me a little bit more confidence, especially if conversations are not going well or things are not how I would prefer them. I have been known to push back on some folks in a pretty confident way that I think a lot of people are like, you said that to a VC. And I'm like, yeah, like they weren't right. And not about my idea, but just about equity at the table. Right. Like, and I've said to VCs, I'm like, Hey, You're reaching out to me and I've looked at your team and I've noticed that there are no women on your team. Like, talk to me about that. Like, well, we we have a woman. I'm like, yeah, you do have one woman. She's your administrative assistant. (laughs) Are they hard to find? Is this like, where is this? And I think being able to have those conversations, I, I definitely try to do it kindly and respectfully and I don't do it all the time. But when you're a founder, I am also now as the CEO of Infinite Giving, I'm getting to choose who sits at the table that we're setting. And in doing that, like we've raised a million and we're going to raise some more. We're a financial technology company, right? And so there's there's some <laughs> a lot of expensive things that go along with that with compliance and custodian fees and things like that. But it, there is a power and a sphere of influence that I get to have in choosing who's going to sit at the infinite giving table. And that starts with board members. That starts with who's on our cap table. And so I've tried to make sure from the very beginning that we have a diverse group of people, ideas, and backgrounds that are able to come together, but have commonality in kind of our values and how we want to help others and see a company grow. And that is a really unique place. And I think I've been really intentional about having a female board member or having, you know, investors. It was really hard to find female angels, but I do have one and she's fabulous. And I was like, can you not put your husband on the cap table? Like I asked her that and she was wonderful, but I was like, I want to make sure that I have strong women also on my cap table. And she said, yes. And that's how I got her on there too. Yeah. I, you know, I, again, the theme that I kind of see surfacing is that clarity of what's important, what you're all about. Like, even when you were talking about the tech village and like the, the values of the village, right. And like, when you are clear in what that is and you communicate it out, you invite people to either be drawn to it or you allow people to self-select out to say, that's not my vibe. And, and, and you're doing that with the way that you're building your company. You're very like, because you understand the ecosystem, because you've been on both, you, you know, you've supported both sides of this process. You can be very clear in what it is that you're looking for, what it is that you expect and do it within reason, right? I think that's the other thing, but that clarity is so valuable and really helping you attract what it is that you're seeking. And I, I just, I see that again and again and again throughout your entire career of that, that ability to have clarity, share, and then invite others to be part of helping you kind of formulate what you're next move is, what your next build is, or who are people that you need to be connected with that are going to support your, your vision. So I, I we can't know ourselves and what we provide. We can't expect others to, I know. And so I think having that kind of knowing, and even if we're faking it till we make it a little bit, right. Maybe you don't feel a hundred percent that, but write it out, run it by some people who are close to you to try to get, make sure that your self-perception is accurate Right. But like getting that and then learning and practicing how to articulate your skill set and who you're about is, as you said so eloquently, it invites people into that because if you can't do it, others can't join you in that and they can't do it for you. So we have that responsibility and duty to ourselves as, as people and leaders. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, Karen, I could spend hours with you and pick your brain. And I just, I love the work that you're doing. I really am such a huge advocate for, especially female founders, because I really see women like you that are the accelerants to transforming the way we work and what, you know, what is possible and kind of creating us, you know, another way that businesses can be run besides kind of what exists today. That's a little less human. And I always ask this question at the end, which is, you know, as you reflect back on this incredible journey up until this point, either advice that was given to you that has served you very well, or something that you've learned along the way, you know, something that no matter what people listening will walk away with, what's that, what's that thing you want them to take? I may say two, and one of them is to live your life in a way that you will not have regrets. And I think when I make a lot of big decisions in my life, part of what has given me some freedom to kind of do the free fall and, and take, you know, some risks is that I imagine myself being 80 years old and looking back at my life mm. and would I regret decisions. And usually what people regret most is not taking more risks. Right. And so it's like, oh, whether it's, travel, like, oh, this trip is not reasonable right now. I don't have the money. Okay. Well, when I'm 80, am I going to remember that I went here and did this or, you know, or am I going to be glad I just stayed at home and made a more practical decision? And I think in jobs and especially, you know, I was in a very good career position and I gave up that salary and I gave up equity and I gave up a lot of different things to do infinite giving. But in that moment, I was like, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And if I look back and think I had some ideas and I could have built a company and I never even tried, I would have deeply regretted it. So I think always like fast forwarding and being like, hopefully we all live to be happy and old and gray and looking back at a life, what will make your life the most full and least likely to have regrets? And the other like kind of part two of that, which we've talked about a little bit. And I, I posted it on LinkedIn the other day, just the thought process, but kind of the idea of getting to a place where you can be as authentically you as you can be in your professional life. And that doesn't mean like no boundaries or, you know what I mean? Like you still have to be a professional person, but like there are pieces of me, especially as a female, right? I, I am a strong leader. I'm a direct communicator that I constantly was like trying to hide or kind of compensate for mm -hmm. like, oh, if I'm a woman and I'm really strong. And sometimes, yes, I was received that way. But most of the time it was my own like perceptions or fears or my lack of a, of kind of maturity to kind of handle those pieces of me. So I had somebody in my life say, Karen, those things about you, because I was different than them, right? It was a, a leader I respected. And I was like, trying to be a little bit more like them. You want to emulate people that you respect. And I've worked with almost all men. I've never had a female boss in my life. Like, and so I was always trying to kind of live in that kind of both worlds. Mm -hmm. And he was like, all those things about you are the reasons I've hired you, right? These are things I want to be around people that are, that are different than me and have complementary skill sets. And there's just something about that that released me a little bit that I, I've been able to come into a place where I'm like, I can be candid, I can be relationship driven, you know, and I try to make sure to live a life authentically and be the leader that I am, but do it in a way that is true to what I value. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm finding it's taken a while and I got a long way to go, but I think I'm finding that place especially as I'm building my own company with Seth and we're, we're building that we're very like-minded in that way. And yeah, that was a long-winded way of saying the secondary one would just be find a way to lead in a way that is authentic to you and does not hide pieces that are uniquely you, because those are usually the gifts that you have to provide to the world. Yeah. I just think that's such wonderful, wonderful advice. And I'm, I'm always here for a bonus, a bonus piece of advice. So Oh, Karen, thank you so much for being on Rising Tide and for just sharing your, your story and, and walking us through how all of the dots have connected and, and even just the work that you're doing today. And we're, I'm just so excited to continue following your journey and, and seeing where it will take you. Well, thank you for having me. We're all figuring it out together. Yeah. I look forward to uh, following your story as well. 
That probably could have been twice as long as I listened to Karen describe how she has built this amazing career. It is no mystery why she has been able to be so successful and seemingly design the perfect role as the CEO and founder at Infinite Giving. I hope you were able to glean so much from this episode. And if Karen really spoke to you, please take a moment, reach out and connect with her and let her know the impact her story made on you. I'd like to say a thank you to Josh Reedford for the amazing editing work that he does. And as always, this podcast would be nothing without this incredible community. Thank you for being here and for continuing to invest in yourself. Until next week, keep rising.